We're in person. Seth, I wanted to continue our tradition here for the last week of Advent. How are you feeling? It's almost Christmas. I'm, I'm excited. Expectant. As one should be, yes. Well, I have a very important question for you this fourth week of Advent, or nearing the fourth Sunday of Advent. What would you do in this particular situation? What would be more embarrassing? Falling off of a chair or falling down the stairs? For me, falling off a chair. Mm, Okay. Because I can kind of see how you could fall down the stairs. But chairs are flat surfaces. (laughs) (laughs) It seems much more difficult and therefore more embarrassing to fall off a chair. Fair. Okay, well, let me, let me add a layer to this question. I'm going to tell you two stories from my own life, and you have to tell me which one is more embarrassing. Okay, okay. Okay, first, with the stairs. I think I was in fourth grade. So we were walking in line, you know, as elementary school children do, had my backpack on, thought it would be a good idea as the line leader to try for the first time to go down the stairs two at a time. Needless to say, close to the top of the second flight of stairs while most of my classmates were on the, the higher flight and could see everything, I like completely tripped, turned around, and fell down the stairs head first on my back. Mostly on my backpack. Like I was fine, but it was in front of my entire class. Second story, chair related. When I was with some of my family on a trip to... Peru a couple of years ago we were hiking the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu and every day we were part of this group where people would carry a lot of our stuff I mean it was pretty glamorous hiking and backpacking they'd set up all our tents and cook the food and everything they had these like camping stools around where our whole group ate together one day we were eating a meal I think it was a lunch meal I was just sitting there minding my own business and all of a sudden the camping stool just completely broke <laughs> underneath me. <laughs> now, I know you are a slight, slender man, but as a large person, chairs breaking is one of my biggest fears. And it happened, it felt like it was in slow motion because I was just like falling backwards. I think I kicked the table that had like several cups of like hot coffee and tea on it on my way down. And then I, like, scooped myself back up and said, is everyone okay? Even though I was the one <laughs> who just fell flat on my butt and had broken a stool. So, I ask you again, which is more embarrassing? In this particular situation, I'm going to go with the stool. Okay. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, thanks for helping me sort out and make sense of my traumatic life experiences, Seth. I appreciate it. Why don't you go ahead and read our passage from Luke 1 for us? This is Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, from the Common English Bible. Mary said, With all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on everyone will consider me highly favored, because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. Did you know that Mary had a pet cat? Stop. The Magnificat. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> that might be the worst joke on it. But did you know what Mary did know? That she... Everything in the yeah, song, that's... Mary, did you know? I think I ranted about this last year, you, you so did, I don't want to do it again. It's worth... Oh, I was going to say it's worth doing it again. Oh. Well, go back to our Christmas episodes from last year to hear about our rage about Mary, did you know? Because the answer is... Yes, she did. And exhibit A is today's <laughs> passage. So, Seth, what stood out to you from this reading, from Mary's song? Usually what I think people remember is Mary being exalted. But my own memories of the Magnificat are usually about the powerful being torn down. Mm. So for me, this this was actually helpful because it was like a little bit of a corrective. Like at the beginning, when she talks about, look, now everyone will consider me highly favored. Which, to be honest, I've, I've read this a lot. And I skim over that part. I'm just like, let me get to the good part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's almost a psalm feel to this passage, right? A psalm of, maybe psalm of praise or psalm of thanksgiving. Because, yeah, it's like Mary is talking about how she is blessed and viewed as favored. But her song is about praising God. Telling mm-hmm. God's story, both for her and for her people. And it's interesting how she identifies as a servant with low status. And talks about later, like, God lifting up the lowly and kind of wonder if she considers herself part of being swept up in mm-hmm. that overturning of the social order that she she's singing about God doing too but you know I I think there are a lot of different directions we could go with this passage Seth but I wanted to just have focus on some conversation about what we think of when we think of Mary because as Protestants we mm-hmm. don't emphasize Mary as much as our Catholic kinfolk do. I think we talk about her a decent amount, especially in our traditions, but as a figure in the New Testament, as someone who shows up or has dialogue in the scripture, she doesn't show up that much either, yet she plays such a critical central role to all the stories of the Gospels because she is the one who nurtures and delivers God in the flesh into the world. Hmm. So I'm just curious to think about, like, what stands out to you from what we know about Mary and her story, and how do you see that connecting to some of what she sings here in this song? I don't know a lot about the specific status of Mary, kind of what her family was like, or but I do know a little bit about the status of women in general at this time, and it. It's really pretty low, like viewed, you know, largely as 
as people's property in relation to men, uh, either as, as a daughter or as someone's wife. But this text is, is in, so empowering and it has nothing to do with men. So I'm thinking of that specifically, the way that her situation is, is kind of lowly, right? Just like she says, but that this is a reversal of that situation. Yeah, and, and it, it's striking too for such a significant person in our faith tradition to have such a minor role in the scriptures as we understand them too. And it's been interesting to see how Mary has been portrayed throughout the years too. In the Women's Bible Commentary, Brittany Wilson has this short essay specifically about Mary and how she's been interpreted throughout history. And Mary's kind of been on the fence, even among some feminist and womanist scholars, in terms of her hermeneutical value, because mm. she has been used as the model woman who accepts the task that is given to her without complaint, who is patient and kind. And, you know, all of our songs about Mary are, you know, portraying her to be this, like, delicate flower of a person and not someone with the strength and gumption to carry a child to full term and give birth to him and raise him in first century Palestine. Like Mary meek and lowly doesn't really fit with, with a Mary who's screaming through labor pains in my opinion, but it's also for us today to men to sit here and talk about Mary is also part of the challenge too, right? Because there have been so many ways that Mary has been representative. And I just want to quote the end of Wilson's essay here, because I think it's really interesting to think about how polarizing Mary can be, but also how polarizing how she's interpreted can be <laughs> compared to other just interpretations of her. So listen to this. Overall, there's a plethora of portraits in Mary's long interpretive history. She is virgin and mother, warrior and weeper, mediator and model, oppressor and oppressed. She is cast as both black and white, rich and poor, heroic and humble, powerful and powerless. And despite these often contradictory manifestations, many of which extend well beyond her few scriptural appearances, Mary still reigns as the most readily recognized and richly textured woman in the Christian tradition. So does any of that stand out to you in light of what we've read, what we've talked about so far? Is this kind of adding any additional layers to how Mary has shown up in our faith traditions and our faith experiences today? The way that we've divorced Mary as a mother from Mary giving birth is really fascinating to me. Because I think we, what we like about Mary is someone who raises and cares for the infant Jesus. We see that as part of being meek and lowly and, and embodying servitude. But as we've emphasized that portrait of Mary, what we've lost is the one that has her real strength, like you were saying before. The one who, who gives birth. Despite the limited access to health care, despite the fact that there's no medication for pain, despite the fact that she's like in a horse stable, not a sanitized mm. hospital, 
So we, while we have all of these wonderful portraits of Mary in Scripture, I think we've, we've lost a lot of them. Just, I don't know, out of our arrogance, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like we, yeah. we think we, what we see of Mary is all that there is to her. You know how we, uh, we pick up the traits of our parents? Yeah, yeah. I often wonder if there are ways we can learn about Mary by learning about Jesus. Like, I know the theology says that God is the Father, like all that stuff. And you can say, but it's also like, in terms of human experience, Mary was at the center of teaching Jesus how to speak and communicate and connect with other people. And it's like, what of that is, you know, I mean, it's the classic Christological question, right? Like, what of that is divine and what of that is human? And how does the fullness of both of those show up? And what does that teach us about a character who is central to those experiences, but not always present in them in some way? I don't know. I just am am really struck by how divergent some of these experiences are and how some of these interpretations are from where we see Mary being very clear about her, her own voice and her own expression in this passage, too. It's like so often we want to speak for Mary, hmm. but when she speaks for herself here, her message and intention is very clear. Yeah, and then we filter out the part that we don't like. Like either we filter out this section about pulling down the powerful, or in my case, I like that part, so I filtered out the, the rest of it. <laughs> Yeah, well, we like the part of we like the part about pulling down the powerful, but don't often consider ourselves among powerful. the powerful either. Yeah, and what those implications might be for you and me. But Seth, I think this is an important transition point to thinking about how this can help us today. Because again, really, I want to center our conversation on what this means in the season of Advent. Again, not just because Mary is literally expecting Jesus, <laughs> but because. We are in a situation where a person who is, as she described it, who is lowly, is talking about how God's invitation to her is signaling an invitation to more people like her. Mm -hmm. That what is happening, what is growing, what is gestating within her (laughs) is reflective of something new, something that is growing and gestating in God that will be birthed into the world as well. And so I think for me, Seth, I see, it's hard for me not to see Mary as a, as a representative and a depiction of God mm-hmm. in this story. Mm-hmm. To be clear, I don't think Mary is God. I don't think I should need to say that, but something's compelling me to say. But like, but for the reasons that I just said, Mary is nurturing the incarnation of Christ in her very womb. And it feels reflective of the type of expectancy that comes along with the season of waiting for God to show up, to bring light into places that need light. Mm-hmm. I don't know, there just seems to be some really important parallels there for us to think about during Advent. I'm thinking of the early 
church controversies surrounding Mary. Mm. You know, who is she? Is she the Anthropotokos? Does she bear the human one? Is she the human bearer? Is she the, the Christotokos? Is she the Christ bearer? And the church eventually decides that she's the Theotokos, that she's the God bearer. Mm-hmm. So I think what, what you're saying is, is beautiful, that there's something that's, that's so intertwined about who Mary is and who God is. That certainly, again, Mary is not God, but they're so bound up together in, in their divine life and what they're bringing forth into the world. Then when I look at, I can't help but look at the Theotokos and see both Mary and God, too. Nothing like some good church controversies <laughs> season up <laughs> to spice up our conversation. Sorry. No, it's okay. I was, I was using Latin words a couple weeks ago, so... We're just bringing in the Greek now, and uh, next we'll have to work on some Aramaic or something like that. But, yeah, no, that'd I don't be, want to do that. That would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the other thing that, that stands out here, you know, we we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and we threw it on a shirt. <laughs> but I'm just still coming back to the idea that Advent is not just telling stories. Mary sings here that God's arrival, God's coming to the world, is going to turn things upside down. And as we reflect on this story and this song, I think part of our responsibility as people of faith is to make that turning over a new present reality. I'm getting caught up in all this, all this stuff that we talked about just a couple weeks ago, but... I, I think that that's important. It's central to the season of Advent. Mary yeah. is singing about how, not how baby Jesus makes her feel peaceful or mm-hmm. makes her feel like, you know, all is right in the world because all is right in her own heart, but is instead saying, God is coming and get ready. <laughs> <laughs> Because like a, like a birth, there is pain, there is mess, there are things that come forward that might be startling to us, but that is the process of birth, and out of that struggle comes new abundant life, especially for those who, like Mary identifies herself as, are brought low, are oppressed on the margins and that's the space where God chooses to show up and be born into the world today she's not just Mary's not just singing songs no is she no and she definitely knew what was going <laughs> on Seth. Yeah. <laughs> yes yeah the one who's the God bearer as we were talking about earlier has a vision for us here that's much more radical you're right than than like the beautiful baby pictures that we see now like it's 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 much more communal systemic like it involves changes to the kind of the entire world order if i could say it that way that's something to to expect and i hope i hope i can expect that 
like in the same vein that Mary does, not in fear and trembling. Yeah. But like, but with joy, even if I'm the powerful who's thrown down. Mm. Yeah. On that note, Seth, I think, so a couple weeks ago, again, I mentioned a favorite liturgical resource of mine in Fleshed. There's another one called Black Liturgies uh, by primarily authored by Cole Arthur Riley, who compiles and crafts just beautiful prayers, breath prayers, reflections, and is doing just a number of wonderful things for Advent. And one of the things that she's been reflecting on the most has been how this the framing of the season of Advent from darkness to light, it's like, we need like Christ's us. light to come in our darkness. Like how... Can it can it be any more racist than right, that? Exactly. Right? Like, and again, like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily come from those intentions, but it, it it has significant implications for how we think about and view you know thinking about a dark the, night. The light has overcome the dark. Right. right? Yeah. Exactly. There, it's, yeah. there is a reality to the metaphor, and we need to be mindful of how we use it, and. Riley talks about how it is in the darkness that the light is nurtured. Without the darkness, the light cannot be light. Because if all was light, light wouldn't stand out. And so there's this this tension, too, between the darkness of Mary's womb and the light of Christ that was growing within her as a zygote, a fetus, and eventually a baby was born into the world. Presumably, as far as we can tell from the scripture in the dark of night, providing light and guidance in in spaces where little was able to be found. And so I just think in light of our conversation about how like justice is woven into the, the message of Advent too, it feels appropriate to highlight how challenging and problematic some of our language and imagery can become. But I definitely encourage folks, especially if we want just some regular, amazing, reflective liturgical experiences on your Instagram feed, follow Cole Arthur Riley at Black Liturgies. It's really important. Is there anything else, Seth, that's on your mind here? I think I'm ready to pray for all this. Yeah, let's pray. Loving Mother... In the water, warmth, and darkness of Mary's womb, you came to be among us. Help us recognize the ways you are being born among us today, especially among those who have, like Mary, been brought low. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of Mary's child, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week, we have a special Christmas episode. But until then, thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Do you remember when we broke a chair in the library at Messiah College, now Messiah University? I remember when we broke an umbrella near the uh, (laughs) alumni house, but I don't remember the chair. Yeah, when you go into the library and you turn left and they have the... Oh, yeah. All those, all the... Uh-huh. 
The stacks. The stacks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we broke one of those. We broke the back of it. Yeah. We didn't tell back. anybody. We just, we like put it in the very back corner. <laughs> we just laughed, I think. Maybe it was finals week. I think if I remember it was. right, yeah. Anyways, we were stressed out. We, we weren't were. thinking correctly. We were. Well, thanks for helping me sort out and make sense of my traumatic life experiences, Seth. I appreciate it. Why don't you go ahead and read our passage from Luke 1 for us? I don't know if I helped at all, considering I just brought up another chair that we broke. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. So I, I got to redeem this with the Magnificat. 